Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. In 1970, there was a young movie actor called Ryan O'Neill, and he was cast as the lead in a movie called Love Story, alongside Ali McGraw. And this movie has become a legend. Love Story is one of the saddest movies ever made. If you can watch it and not end up in a puddle on the couch, then you have a heart of stone. The story is that boy meets girl in college and they're from different backgrounds but they're perfect for each other and they fall madly in love. They have to fight for their relationship against their parents but in the end they win and they get married. But then not long into their marriage Ali McGraw is diagnosed with a terminal illness and the rest of the movie charts her rapid and inexorable decline until she dies. The last scene of the movie is of Ryan O'Neill sitting alone on a grassy hillside, totally devastated, while the gut-wrenching orchestral theme plays at full volume. It's the gold standard tearjerker, and Ali McGraw's last line of the movie, while she's lying in a hospital bed, holding her young husband's hand is, I'm sorry. And Ryan O'Neill replies, Love means never having to say you're sorry. Then two years later, in 1972, Ryan O'Neill was in another movie, this time alongside Barbara Streisand, and it was a romantic comedy called What's Up, Doc? This time, boy meets girl, and they have a wild and clumsy ride crashing into each other in all kinds of hilarious ways. Until finally, at the end of the movie, Ryan O'Neill is getting on a plane to leave town forever with his relational life in ruins, and he's feeling sad and depressed when the young woman in the seat behind him on the plane asks him a question. And when he turns around to answer her, he realizes that it's Barbara Streisand, the woman he's been chasing for the whole movie. And in a jumble of words, he tries to explain himself, but he ends up just saying to her, look, I'm sorry. And she looks back at him coyly and replies, love means never having to say you're sorry. And Ryan O'Neill stares back totally deadpan and says, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. And I just love the scriptwriter who gave him that line. True love does many marvelous things. It's as strong as death, it bears all things, and it casts out fear. But it never removes our need to say sorry. In fact, the people we love the most are also the people we need to say sorry to the most often. If you're married, then the person you love most is, hopefully, your spouse. And the person you say sorry to most often is hopefully also your spouse. So the thing I want us to notice from Joel chapter 2 this evening is that it's the same with God. That love and repentance go together. Love and sorry, hand in hand. And there are two sides to this. First, that God's love for us makes repentance safe 
And second, that our growing love for God increases our grief over sin. So first, God's love makes repentance safe. Joel serves as God's mouthpiece, as God's prophet, and he says in chapter 2, verse 12, Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your hearts and not your garments. So here the Lord is calling his people to say sorry with tears, to break their own hearts with grief. Ancient cultures would tear their clothes as a sign of grief over losing a loved one. And God here calls his people to tear their hearts in grief over sin. Then Joel adds in the next verse, in verse 13, Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. So notice that the extreme repentance that Joel is calling for is set in the context of God's merciful love. Love and sorry go together. We don't say sorry in order that God will love us. We say sorry because we know he already does. And his love is the only thing that makes the sorry safe. Sorry is a very vulnerable thing to say. It exposes our weakness and it puts us at the other person's mercy. And if you find in your own life that there's someone you can't say sorry to, then it's because you don't feel safe to say it. So maybe you can't say sorry to your sister because you know she'd hold it over you forever. Or maybe you can't say sorry to your wife because you know she'd never respect you again. The sorry just doesn't feel safe with that person, so you don't say it. But God's steadfast love and mercy makes the sorry safe. We're secure in his love. We can't shake it, whatever we do. And anyway, he already knows the whole thing of what we did and has already had mercy on us, remembering that we are dust. So we can bring him our sorry because we're secure in his love. But the second side of the coin is that our growing love for God increases our grief over sin. And that's a little bit counterintuitive because we should have our strongest grief over sin at the beginning when we're at our worst. (laughs) And we know that we're at our most sinful before we know God at all, when we're in full-on rebellion against him. And once we decide to turn back to him, it's all uphill from there. Pretty much. As I said on Sunday, as our love for God increases, that's progress. We're actually making progress. That's what we mean by sanctification. Our hearts are getting healed. And that's exactly what God wants to see happening. But here's the funny thing. As we make progress in love, we find that our sense of grief over sin also increases. And the reason is that our gradual coming alive makes us more sensitive to reality. So in the book of Joel, the people aren't mourning and grieving for no reason. There's been a real event that's triggered this national response, a crisis event. An army of locusts has devoured all their crops and left the people destitute. So their grief is in touch with reality. 
And the people respond. In chapter 2, verses 15 and 16, the whole community gathers in solemn assembly from the elders to the nursing infants. But then we find in verse 17 that it's the priests and the ministers of the Lord who weep on behalf of the people. So it's the leaders who find this crisis most personally devastating. The ones who have drawn nearest to God are the ones in tears. And this has been a pattern repeated so often among the saints of God. The men and women that we look up to as so far beyond us in holiness that they seem to be close to perfect are also the same people who have wept the bitterest tears of grief over their own sin. They were most alive and most aware of what that lingering sin in their hearts really was. So as we grow in our love for God, we don't outgrow our need to say sorry to him. And in fact, we should expect the opposite, that our heartfelt grief over sin will increase. And I think that's why Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 7 verse 4, that the heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. So take comfort in that today if your heart is full of tears. You may feel that you're a worse creature today than you were a decade ago. That you're actually going backwards. But it might really be the case that you're simply more alive today than you were a decade ago, that you're moving toward the company of the wise. We learn wisdom here in the solemn assembly and in coming together to say sorry to God, we learn love. So love means never having to say you're sorry is the dumbest thing I ever heard. <laughs> 